Hi, and welcome to the Day One Podcast. My name is Simon Moran, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with the mayor of Scottsdale, Mayor Jim Lane. Mayor, how are you today? I'm doing just great. Thank you. Good. So part of the Day One Podcast is speaking to individuals about their career and just different things that they found inspiration from and taking them back to day one in their journey and kind of explaining the different things that they went to to get to their current position today. So if you want to start off, when you were younger, was were your parents or were there certain situations that drove you to want to have success in business or choose your direction in life? What Who were those mentors and what were those things that kind of sparked this trajectory? Well, there probably were a lot of people that had influence on me and, and frankly, my chosen career as well as uh, the direction that I took uh, from high school and from college and, and the kind of education I sought and the kinds of careers that I entertained. And they were fairly numerous. An odd point, I said, and I would say that my father, who is an independent businessman the entire time, uh, that, you know, certainly of my life, uh, his, was a great inspiration to me in having to deal with people and having to work with people and having a basic good understanding. He wasn't highly educated, but he had some great business ventures and he did well. Mm-hmm. Um, he and uh, actually uh, another gentleman who lived in our neighborhood who was a, a CPA uh, was also had some influence on me. And, and frankly, that component part in business which is not something my father necessarily mastered, right. but nevertheless, I thought was a, a, an important factor. I had a little bit of a tack, or I should a knack, I should say, for numbers and and liked that aspect and the measurement and accountability aspects of that in business. And where did you originally grow up then? I, I grew up in a, a little town of Chatham, New Jersey. Okay. I actually was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, but I uh, moved. Uh, when I was four years old and not by myself, but with my parents, but nevertheless, uh, to, uh, uh, Chatham. And okay. so I was more or less raised in Chatham, uh, through high school in which time I, uh, moved away to go to college, uh, and, but not that far away, just down to Philadelphia. Right. But nevertheless, a very different experience than even Chatham. And then from, uh, Philly, uh, in Philly at St. Joe's university, I, I went into accounting. But the reason I went into accounting was a little bit odd for, in view of the things I've just mentioned to you in that it was one of the requisite uh, degrees to have to go into the FBI. Oh, okay. So I, uh, and my intent was to go into the FBI. And when I got out of school, I actually thought, well, some military experience before I did that might be a, a good calling too. Right. And so I had entertained going into the military for a period of time. As it ended up, uh, a very fluky kind of thing, a, a guy that uh, who I was going to school with, asked me to take the interviews with the what was then the big eight accounting firms. And mm-hmm. so uh, on a little bit of just a, a lark, uh, I said, sign me up for him. I'll go ahead and take him. It was a, an idea that he he thought that I would make him more comfortable. We could right. talk about it and that kind of thing. Of course. Next thing I know, they started asking me where I'd wanted to live and where I would like to go. And <laughs> They had already signed you up when yeah, you walked he, in the door. Yeah, then. <laughs> and, well, and the fact is I, I ended up with... Uh, uh, as it turned out, a number of offers across the country. I started picking some places I'd never been before. Again, I don't mean to say I was using and abusing the system. I was certainly <laughs> still entertaining it, but I right. thought, hey, this might be an opportunity to see a few other spots and uh, of course. and uh, make some other thoughts. And I ended up here yeah. uh, in Phoenix with two offers here in Phoenix. And um, and I took one of them. That was with Pete Mark Mitchell, which is now KPMG. Sure. And then you also attended Seton Hall Preparatory School, and then that's in New Jersey, correct? Or? Right. And, and Seton Hall was probably one of the 
best basic education systems that I was able to uh, involve myself with. And that was my own personal choice to go there. It okay. wasn't something that my folks put me there. Right. Uh, and I ended up having to, at a ripe old age of 13, 14 years old, make uh, this $700 a semester, uh, $700, maybe it was a year at that point in time, okay, yeah. uh, to make sure I... Uh, got to oh, yeah. stay in school. So I, I worked every summer. So Seton Hall is a faith-based education then? Yes, it's a, it's a Roman Catholic uh, institution associated, of course, with Seton Hall University, which is also the same at the time and still is, uh, all-male institution, prep school is. And uh, it gave me a great basis, not only in, certainly in my faith, I suppose, in a certain sense, even though there was, it's an interesting time for any young man uh, when they consider their faith, but it also involved other people of other faiths who wanted to take advantage of that same education. Right, so for sure. It was a broadening of a spectrum for me, even that's not that I didn't know people of other faiths before that, but mm -hmm. frankly, working and reckoning and learning about their faiths as, as well as my own. So it was, it was a broadening aspect as far as how you deal with people and how you understand from different perspectives. Of course. And I thought that was uh, always one of the more positive aspects of uh, education uh, that was imparted to me and to others, of course. Uh, in that institution. So it's a great place. Yeah, my, my, I myself um, graduated from Brophy College Prep, which um, is a Jesuit high school, and I had a similar experience to that. And uh, and I could definitely speak to the individuals that come from all over the valley, all over Arizona even. You know, some guys would travel an hour and a half to get to school, and they seek that sort of education. Yeah. But um, it's really interesting to see the dynamic with other individuals and it's because it's not necessarily focused on the Jesuit or the Catholic essence. It's about the community, the brotherhood and, and the group around it. And I think it's definitely a really interesting experience from an education standpoint well, as well. And I think it probably is shared by a lot of institutions, a man for others. Yep. And uh, so then you moved on, you got a degree in accounting from St. Joe's University, and then you mentioned potentially going to the military, potentially going the FBI direction. When you finally decided to go and become a CPA and involve yourself with KPMG, what was the driving factor there and what, how was the experience moving out to Arizona for the first time? Well, the experience was a positive one. And uh, since I worked uh, my way through college as well, I, I suddenly found myself with a reservoir of funds uh, <laughs> that I didn't need to apply to the next year of, of, of education. Sure. And the job was lined up. Everything seemed fairly secure. And uh, I, from the few times I'd been out here previously, I really did enjoy uh, the, in, the entire environment and, and specifically here in Scottsdale. So I moved here to Scottsdale. Um, it was an exciting time, as you can imagine. Um, and I just um, took hold of it. And what I found really by taking that choice was an opportunity, almost like an educational institution, of finding out a variety of circumstances and different perspectives in different industries and different businesses and how they manage to either make money or not make money. Of course. And what their positive negative, as well as safeguarding assets uh, with internal controls and all the management elements that you, you get involved in there. But at the ripe old age of 21, then maybe 22, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you were in the mix uh, and asking and having conversations with people that were far above my pay grade and frankly of course. Uh, uh, having far more influence and background and experience than I did. Uh, but it was a, it was a very, very um, 
growing experience uh, just now in the reality of the real world, how anything you may learn in school, how it gets to be applied of course, in action. Definitely. And, and then you moved here in the mid 70s. What was Arizona like back then? And how have you seen it grown as a city of Scottsdale and as a state to where it is today? Well, it used to be that I'd say that after I'd been here 10 years, I felt like Grandpappy Amos because I could talk about the good old days. Right. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, but, of course. But obviously in the in the 46, uh, yeah, 46 years that I've been here now, it, it has changed dramatically. But so has the rest of the world. Of course. Uh, and so, But I would say that Arizona, Maricopa County, certainly have always been on a, a fast pace for growth in a lot of different ways. And we've gone through a different, a lot of different cycles and a lot of different economic, sometimes trauma and sometimes massive, uh, you know, expansions. Uh, and it has always been a element as far as I'm concerned, whether you be in business or in government, is how do you evolve to meet those challenges right. and those changes uh, of desires, of product, of services? Uh, uh, you know, how does that all come together? And you have to be fluid. You have to be willing to accept growth mm -hmm. because it's going to be a consequential effect of any successful community. And if you're if you're not able to evolve, you you you'll have to move on to something else, or you're you know you're out of it. Now, right. That's in business, and I'd say in government, what we try to do is to manage growth too. Okay. That we want to, and certainly in my administration, want to encourage growth in a fair and equal manner as I might mention in, in, a, in a little bit further on here, but nevertheless, uh, to make sure we have a positive business environment and that government's doing the work it's supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. not more than what it's supposed to be doing, but doing what it's supposed to be doing to make sure that we all have a place to live, work, and thrive. Of course. Uh, and uh, with as little interference from us as possible, other than the, to provide the services that you're paying for with sure. your taxes. And then from your transition uh, from KPMG, you um, were done there in 1996. Then you went on to run a couple companies and have some experiences on the entrepreneurship side of things. Tell us a little bit about that experience and then we'll get into some of how you, your current day position as well. Okay, well, real easy, obviously coming out of the CPA world, which is uh, the first thing was to be taking a CFO position. And in, in as it was in the first instance, uh, was a, a two privately held companies, but they were in electronics and, and also in material supply and open pit mining. Okay. Uh, and so I got, and a bit of construction as well. So, and those were they're not simultaneous, but those were the first two progressions as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I ended up uh, uh, quickly advancing the idea that I wanted to have my own company and, and what I chose at that point in time was a construction company. Sure. So I, uh, built for, with partners, I'd have to say, but nevertheless, I was in the lead on it. Um, built a construction company uh, in commercial concrete construction. So okay. we did a lot of airport work, some stadium work, uh, frankly, some road work. Well, not so much road work, but uh, residential housing and commercial building uh, con concrete work. Okay. So that was a, that was a, a focus for a number of years. And that was an interesting, different perspective, even from businesses I'd ever dealt with in, in Pete Marek. Right. Um, from there, I, I ended up uh, 
jumping into a, an opportunity that was presented to me from a publicly traded company uh, to be a CFO for a, a regional airline. Okay. Uh, it happened to be um, here in Phoenix. And, and frankly, we, we grew it by virtue of getting a co-chair agreement, which is an association affiliation, if some people might say, with sure. U.S. Air, as it was at the time. And uh, so we had California, Nevada, and Arizona that were our markets to, to serve for a period of time. But I, I ended up transitioning uh, them into new aircraft as the CFO. And it was a, sort of an odd situation, but that's uh, because of the practicality or the impracticality of the, air, of the aircraft that they were using. Okay. Uh, we ended up moving away from some long-term leases. And, uh, very difficult, but nevertheless, uh, something that we did were able to facilitate and move into new aircraft that were going to be more productive and, and work our market better. Right. And so uh, by that action, the board ended up deciding uh, to make me president. Okay. And so I ended up serving as president of that airline for a number of years. Um, at a period of time, uh, I moved away. Well, was there for a number of years uh, in that position. But I ended up from there... I went. I actually started um, to explore another business for myself. Okay. And that was what it was was a technology company. It was one of the early ISPs, Internet Service Providers. Sure. Uh, and so I ended up buying that and setting it up here in Scottsdale in a number of different, a couple of different offices, and um, expanding that into a um, network integration company. So I had the ISP and a network integration company in, in the very early years. This is in the 80s and early like, 90s. It sounds like right, right at yeah. the forefront of everything. You were kind of leading the charge on that yeah. end, it sounds like. So it was early on, and, and if you have ever even heard of the, the we had the dot-com bust. Yep. Uh, and that was really a... Uh, an equity bust uh, on the basis of new technologies and new stocks. Everybody right. looking for market share, but nobody ever determining what the top end or what the real envelope of that market share would be, or right. what that circle or that pie might be. And so it was a it was a crazy time with technology changing. Uh, all the time. I've talked about evolution. Mm -hmm. You had to evolve and remake yourself frequently on right. the basis of the available technology and your technicians. Uh, and so uh, that was an interesting time. I ended up selling that company years later uh, uh, after taking it most of the way up the uh, growth of the dot-com mm -hmm. uh, industry and maybe uh, a good part of the way down. I right. ended up selling it to a Canadian outfit. So it, was a, it ended up being a a relatively reasonable transaction, but, you know, it wasn't knocking anybody's socks off. Sure. But the bottom line is that I sold it to some Canadians. They asked me to contract through it as they transitioned into their plan, uh, marketing with some other outfits that were in in, um, in Colorado and here. And so I did that for a couple of years. But in that process, um, I ended up uh, being asked to be on a task force for uh, the mayor at that point in time okay. with regard to fire and EMS. And it was an evaluation of our fire system, which was then operated by a private company, okay. Rural Metro. And then also our EMS system, which is also handled with a private company. But to ch evaluate uh, uh, the value of, um, of the services relative to cost. Right. And so we went through a, a lot of things with regard to the uh, associations that set standards and that and seeing how we would meet them and how we would get there. And I made a presentation to the council at that time. And um, the basis of that, um, 
you know, they, they frankly decided uh, to put a proposition on the, uh, at the, really the insistence of the fire union okay. uh, to put um, a item on the ballot, um, a proposition to do away with the private service and municipalize, if you will, mm-hmm. um, those services. It was not something I had advocated, nor did our report. But right. Nevertheless, um, I was quickly asked to, to run the campaign in opposition to that. Okay. Now, I was not on council, as you know. I was on that task force. Right. And so I, I did run that. And so I was headlong um, uh, in opposition and had to debate the issue with the unions primarily, which was significantly funded from outside to the tune of millions of dollars. We put together a committee, a grassroots committee, uh, raised about $30,000, and um, we won the campaign to defeat it. Okay. Um, And so that was a big moment, and uh, it it gained a certain amount of visibility in the community uh, for me. And on the basis of that, we stayed with rural metro, uh, but by virtue of things that were developing politically with mm-hmm. the unions and the city, um, uh, rural metro decided that they weren't going to go through this fight again. Right, and uh, they ended up not rebidding the contract, and, okay. and thus we became municipalized. Sure, and in the first three years, uh, we were almost fifty percent more paying fifty percent more for essentially the same service. And so that experience sounds like that was your first experience publicly as far as, you know, a debate or situations mm-hmm. that affect the community at large. Is that what kind of fueled your passion to maybe seek going and joining the council and then into the mayor position? Or what was that initial pull to serve publicly? Actually, in, in a certain sense, yes, it was. Uh, even though I hadn't really... I still had other thoughts getting into business, and I really wasn't on that track. Right. But the way that went and the politics of even how that came about and the situation and what it presented to the citizens. The citizens wanted to stay where they were for a lot of reasons. Uh, We had far more control over it at that point in time than we do now. But there were other major cost factors that were associated with uh, bringing that on. But we were like a, a lone wolf out there. Uh, but to the point, I didn't didn't really that did not really fuel it directly. Uh, but as a consequence, as as rural metro came to me and said we're not going to see this thing through, it was right. a fairly significant disappointment to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gotten far more involved with it by virtue of the effort right. than I really I think I even imagined. So not that my thoughts immediately turned to that, but people who had worked with me asked me to run for council. And I was under that contract situation with, those, with the Canadian electronics firm, right. Indigenet. And I ended up um, uh, deciding to, to go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. I figured I had a little bit more time than I had when I was running the place by myself. And frankly, I, it was a little bit of time that I could figure out an, a new exit strategy as to where I go next after that, the sale of that. Kind right. Of. And and so I, I ran and I won and was four years on council. Well, the four years on council only proved to me is how, how important it was that I 
was able to make some changes. I tried to make some changes as a council member in some of it, but I was up against the full council and certainly the administrative state uh, that we've got uh, within the city hall as well. So it was not an easy row. Right. Uh, but in the course of that uh, on council, I, I made some fairly significant impact on some decisions uh, that really gave people a pretty clear idea as to where I came from, from a business side of things and, and how we were to conduct ourselves. Right. And so I ran for council and uh, I'm sorry, I ran for mayor and I won by a squeaker, but I won from, you know, against an incumbent who was fairly popular and uh, the rest. And I ran again uh, four years later and, and, and won against two, uh, two individuals and, and ultimately won. Um, and then, um, in fact, I won in the primary, you know, which you need 50% plus, yeah. I, and I did far better than that. Right. I just won in the primary, and then, uh, again, I won against an individual uh, just a few, couple years ago now. And then coming into office, you've been in office now going on 12 years, and you have a year and a half left then. What was that initial mission to coming in with the community? What have you seen as some of your proudest moments in office? And, and kind of talk through your experience of the last 12 years. Well, I had to say that some of my, well, the initial mission was pretty plainly stated, even in my run for council, and that was to create a, a pro-business environment and to try to get uh, the city to be more efficient and effective in the, in its uh, in its services and its products that it's delivering to the citizens, and try to also create an environment that is not picking winners and losers. A big problem when I was on council was the fact that we were giving out massive subsidies uh, to businesses, and. Um, for no, well, frankly, I'm, I'm not into subsidies, period. But right. nevertheless, without, without any real exchange at all of value uh, that you, and you were building a, an environment where intrinsically it was unfair environment because you have existing businesses that are, you might be bringing a business in right. that who's in competition with them and, and now they're subsidized yeah, and yeah. you, you understand an unfair competitive environment. And so as pro-business as I am, I'm not to the point of trying to pick winners and losers. And the other is it creates an inherent area of potential corruption. Mm-hmm. When politicians are handing out subsidies, of course, it becomes, I mean, it may never be intended, and I'm not accusing anybody of it, but it, the visibility or the perception of it can easily lead people to conclude that. So it's something you want to get the heck out of the, get out of the way. The other was uh, the, uh, the administration, our executive team, which are our charter officers, of which there are six, uh, we needed to make some changes. So I was advocating independent, more of an independence for our different skill sets within the charter officer group. To this day, uh, well, that was those were some of the promised elements, but certainly was to maintain a low, a low cost tax-wise, and a low regulatory environment. Certainly, I'm not. A, I'm a bit of a libertarian, but I'm not, I certainly believe that regulations and laws are certainly the, the essence of maintaining our security and frankly, our, our independence, our freedoms in a lot of ways. But it's important that um, we make sure that those things are not 
uh, are not creating preferences or, or preferences or you know protecting anybody in particular, and that goes to businesses. And when you've ever heard the term crony capitalism, concern truly is when government becomes too involved to the point that they're protecting one business over another business to maintain things or otherwise. And I I'm all about I understand people make investments and they like to protect them and certainly they'll do what they can to do it, but it's not government's place right. to intercede in those things and that's that's my basic philosophy so those are some of the, of the basic elements of political philosophy and principles that i was espousing and i told people from time to time i'm not going to tell you how i'm going to vote on issues i'm going to tell you how i think about issues and you you have you should readily uh, understand uh, where i should be on something on the basis of what I've expressed as my principles. That's not to say there's never a gray area. I said, but if it ever comes to that, I need to be able to explain exactly why I may be making any departure from those principles and those philosophies that I espouse. And that's uh, been a solid ground for me, and it's been something I've, I've felt very good about. So. The promises I made were to the point of principles and philosophy of governance and how we should conduct ourselves here. And certainly having the fiduciary responsibility to protect the the, uh, the taxpayers' assets and resources, of course. always. Uh, and that's part of that public accounting background and, and, and some of that accounting and accountability sure. that I, I'm also... And accountability is another word that uh, I use... Uh, not in lightly, but also in, in a strong fashion. So those are the things that people expected from me, and uh, I feel that, uh, you know, that I think that they have sensed it through three and maybe, well, four if you include the first, but never the three elections. And right. What a, you know, what's been accomplished here. Now, for some of our younger audience who may be in the, the private sector, may be thinking about seeking some sort of political career or a political office, what advice, you know, having not really planned being in the mayor's office, but now having had the position, what would you say to them is, is a key focus to understand when serving a community like Scottsdale? Key focus. Uh, key focus is to is to stand for principles and philosophy, and, and have your own personal philosophy that you're comfortable with. You need to know, just in a, a broader scope of vision, as to how you see things and then how you explain those to people as to what your basic principles are. You know, uh, some folks may think that I'm too pro business. And I, I've gotten to the point of saying, hey, without business and without an economy and an economic engine, you don't get any of the rest of it. So it's an important component. Is it the only component? No, it's certainly not. But nevertheless, uh, those are the kinds of things that in further defining of, of your principles, you really only get to do when you, you get into office. But knowing where, where you stand and being honest about that right. and having people be able to build on trust for what you said and what you felt about things and for you to always be able to articulate why you're going a certain direction and how that is consistent or frankly why you may be varying from it okay you know in an open manner now communication is a big deal and sometimes you have avenues to communicate to people sometimes you don't uh, so 
you, you hope that you maintain the trust all the time. Of course. And, and in handing this position off in a year and a half from now, where would you like to see the, the direction of uh, the city of Scottsdale go? And is there any plans for you after you leave office as well? Well, obviously, Simon, philosophically, I'd like to see people in office that follow a similar path. Mm-hmm. Now, is it mine? Certainly it is, but it's, it's something that I think can be held and is commonly held by a lot of people. But so more than anything else, philosophically, I'd like to see people move forward in that direction. Okay. Politics is a funny animal, though, and there isn't any doubt. And this is where it gets careful. And I've I've struggled with this myself. And that's trading off things with when you're working in this position, even as a mayor, you're still one of seven on a legislative body. Uh, and which also legis- not legislate, well, yes, in a certain sense, legislates policy, but nevertheless sets policy. Mm-hmm. So you're always dealing with people who have just a slightly different vision of it. But in order to assemble votes, you know, there are some trade-offs. Right. And that's sometimes what gets everybody in a little bit of a tizzy. And, and that's why I say there are sometimes gray areas. And when I say gray areas, it's not necessarily philosophically. It's a matter of how do you get this, the best possible condition that you can. Right. Democracy, and even as a republic, it's all about a certain amount of accommodations. Not everybody gets exactly what they want, and you, you, you work somewhere in, in between. As oftentimes said, if ever, if ever, if everybody's happy, well, not everybody is going to be happy. Right. I mean, you know, everybody's going to probably have to take a little bit different view of it. That's the nature of politics. But you got to be careful uh, when you're in that position that it doesn't become too much policy and you, and you end up, you know, not being somewhat principled about it. Right. But you can see what sometimes when somebody stands what they see as their principle and you don't get anything done. Yeah, you, you would hope that as a community, everyone, everybody wants to build things up for each other. They may find different ways on how to do that. So what you're saying is it's kind of it takes everybody to come together and, and do a give and take to really find the common ground. But hopefully the, the goal is to really build up the community at large. Yeah, and, and it, it is. And you do have to look at the overall community all the times, not only from different points of view, but also what the end result is. And sometimes uh, we like to think in certain occasions that everybody in town knows exactly what the city should be doing. But one of the reasons we're a republic is because you elect people and hopefully people of, of principle and of philosophy and of a righteous, I suppose, in a certain sense, philosophy but also um, that are in a position to gather up the information that's necessary to make an, an appropriate decision. You know, something along that line, one of the primary things that uh, I did when I got into the mayor's office was to change the charter, as I mentioned before. And those charter officers' position, which includes our city manager, city treasurer, city attorney, city right. auditor, and city clerk, and the city judge. But of the five that are administrative officers, uh, they now are all charter officers, which means they're hired, fired, evaluated, and compensated by the council directly. They okay. don't answer to the city manager anymore. That was part of the obstacle when I was talking about uh, the elements within the ICMA's tenants mm-hmm. that uh, sort of uh, tells them that they need to maintain control. They work as a team, but they individually were looking for a skill set from the city attorney 
We're not looking for that same skill set from the city manager. He needs to be looking for that skill set, yes, but only to advance the council's overall voted policy or agenda uh, moving forward. So it's a city attorney, he, he needs to be able to respond to us directly and know that he's if he goes up against a, a, an opposing agenda um, from city hall's management and mm -hmm. from the city manager, that he's, his job is not in jeopardy. His ob first obligation is to us. Same thing with the city treasurer, who is actually our chief financial officer too, by virtue of those amendments. And so those were important components. They're now studied throughout the university system here in, in Arizona and their MPA programs. Mm -hmm. But I also understand across the country. So the best that I know, we're somewhat unique in that regard. And, um, you know, it, it seems it has been working out fine since 2010. Of course. Put it into play. Well, Mayor Jim Lane, we appreciate your insight today and all the work you've done for Scottsdale over the years in your position as mayor and, and prior to that and wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Well, thank you very much, Simon. It's been my pleasure to be able to talk with you.